Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Hello, marketers and business leaders. I am very excited about today's senior marketing leader and looking back at how they got to where they are. It is Meredith Jensen. Now, Meredith and I met in person finally at the Marketing Profs event just about a month or so ago where I was speaking. We had a great conversation in the hallways and she actually had told me she'd been listening to my previous podcast for years and and we, we made it a point of saying, you know what, let's get to know each other a little bit better. And today you're going to hear that. I found her career really fascinating. Now, a little bit about what you'll get today. First of all, for context, she is the Senior VP of Marketing and Brand Communications for a company called RGP, a company that's in the consulting space, massive organization, 4,000 employees, 2,400 customers, publicly traded with over 70 offices and you know, targeting to reach a billion in revenue in the next year or so, which is pretty fascinating to think about joining a company at that stage and some of the challenges. And you know, she unpacks where they are today in terms of you know really bringing in a formal marketing team for the first time but also some of the steps she's taken in her career to get there and i think the part that i found most interesting is how she got her start in more event marketing and you know as much as you know, she didn't necessarily credit that at the beginning for where she is, but the more you dig into some of her philosophies and thesis to marketing, it's all about understanding the customer and getting in front of the customer. She talks about that from an account director standpoint. She talks about that in many ways. And one of the links that I pulled in is just her start in event marketing, where to me, the event marketers I've worked with, they truly do understand the customer. They understand them because they get out there, they coordinate to have you know dinners with them, have them stop by booths, have them better understand the things that are going to pull them out. And doing that really creates that connection. So I think you'll learn a lot today from Meredith. Without further ado, welcome to the marketer's journey. All right, Meredith, thank you so much for finding time out of your busy day. I, you know, first off, for everyone's context, we met like in the hallway of a marketing event, being marketing profs, just just a few weeks back. And now here we are talking about the journey to you being in a very interesting role. Uh, You know, maybe you can tell us about that role. Tell us about RGP, not a brand that maybe most marketers know, but but quite a large enterprise. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for inviting me. And I feel like I've known you long before meeting in the halls of a marketing conference a month ago because I've been listening to your content pros podcast for quite some time among other podcasts. So you're already sort of a legend in my mind, but it's great to finally be be able to be part of your show now and share a little bit of my marketing leadership journey. I'm currently at RGP. We're a global consulting firm with about 4,000 consultants strong. We work around the world in over 70 offices for some incredible clients, about 2,500 clients 86 of the Fortune 100 have been with us for the last decade. We started a little over 20 years ago with a very disruptive model in the world of professional services, not the traditional consulting model. In fact, I like to call it we invented the future of work and the whole gig economy mindset because our consultants can come on board, lead a transformation with CFOs of a Fortune 50 company, and they roll off 
you know, two years later and go do their own thing and then they come back. So it's a really cool model, an amazing company going through an incredible growth trajectory right now. And so I've been with them for a little over two years, helping them build a marketing function from the ground up. Not which is, for the faint of heart, my friend. <laughs> on its own, right? I mean, a, a company of that scale that you describe with, you know, 4,000 employees, you know, 70 offices around the world, publicly traded. I, I mean, it's wild to think that there are these opportunities for a marketing leader to jump in and create a marketing team. Because, I, you know, one of the things that I find interesting, I know you report to the CEO today, but you, you came in reporting just to essentially the, the head of just more g- generic revenue. Is that correct? Yeah. And I wouldn't say it was generic because he was really the executive vice president for global revenue. And that's a, a very meaty role, especially at a time when we are going through some major transformation and growth to get to be a billion in annual revenue. We're about 750 million in annual revenue to date. And so what my role was when I started was just you know, learning as quickly as I could about the business and understanding, A, what does modern marketing look like for a company that's never truly invested in it? And and this, again, I kind of joke, it's not for the faint of heart. But one of the things that we'll talk about is that throughout my career, I've always been a builder. And I've been most passionate, most motivated, and most successful when I can co- come in and what I, I call it the three Ds. I go in, I design and develop, and oftentimes I disappear. And it really means that I love going into an organization that's going through a major inflection point in their business. And it may mean that they need something to be transformed or they're in heavy growth mode, they're in startup mode or they just need something to be turned around that's going to lead to more sustainable growth. And so that's really where I shine. And it's not for everybody, but, you know, some people love the care and feeding of the leadership role as a CMO, but that's not really where I come from. And it's not really what I'm passionate about. So with RGP, I joke with um, Tim Brackney, who's the president and COO, was the EVP of revenue. I joked when we had talked for many months about them bringing me on board, where he said, you know, you're literally going to be starting from scratch. You'll be a team of one. You know, what does that look like, knowing where we're headed? And I often reflect back, if you're familiar with Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In book, she talks about the day that she approached Eric Schmidt and said, I'm going to probably leave Google to join Facebook. I have this incredible opportunity. I'm not really sure what it's going to look like or what I'll be doing. And Eric Schmidt just said, just stop, Cheryl. When someone asks you to jump into a rocket ship, you don't ask where the seat is. You just get on. And so that's always, yeah. And so that's just like, it was always so profound. I remember reading that and thinking, you know, I want to have one of those rocket ship moments where you don't really have all the structure in place. I mean, I am literally building a marketing function from the ground up for a highly successful company that's been in business for over two decades. And what does that look like? So you have to have a vision and you also have to have leadership buy-in. And so those two things were key for me wanting to join RGP. And um, it's been highly successful for me. I'm now the senior vice president of marketing and brand communications, now reporting in directly to CEO. We had a siloed group of marketers that were doing various roles across the fu- um, functional areas in the organization. I've streamlined that and created a new corporate marketing function for the organization so we can better serve our internal and external stakeholders. That's great. And, and so I, I want to back this up because you know what you're doing now, the scale at which you're doing it, a lot of people listening to this podcast are probably saying, they're saying, how do I get there? Right. And they, they're probably <laughs> opening up LinkedIn and, and tracing back the steps. It's wild to look at your, your past, which 
actually originally started in school focused more on political science, but your first real professional job, if you will, or at least the one that made it onto LinkedIn is in event marketing. And and it's an interesting path. And it's one that I think a lot of marketers today kind of question, you know, where does event management fit? Because is it more of a demand channel or is it more of a, of a brand channel to start your career and understand I've struggled myself with where that, that part of the business belongs on, on my org structure for, for a marketing team. Do you see that still today is the right foot in the door to marketing? I think it's an excellent foot in the door. And I just love the question that you're raising because to me, events or what I, what is now known as experiential marketing. When I was in the business, it was this new function called event marketing over a decade or so ago. And, and I actually worked with the guys that launched event marketer magazine and was on their advisory board. And it was just this cool new, you know, functional discipline in the world of marketing. And now when I look at how far it's progressed, very similar to content marketing, for example, and you think about events though, that is the ultimate brand experience you're creating for a customer stakeholder. And it can be made or broken very quickly on what that event experience is like. It can transform and change hearts and minds depending on whether it's an event for a product launch or even a conference. I mean, you run conferences all the, or, and attend them all the time. You know, think about that. So for me, events was just an interesting doorway that I walked through that started out in more of the PR world. And naturally, you know, public relations, there's often events that are part of that mix. And so that's really where I got my footing and let, that led me into some really interesting paths. I mean, my first, what I call my first real grown-up job, I was the director of the San Francisco Book Festival. I worked for this scrappy little nonprofit where that book festival was responsible for 40% of the annual operating income for that nonprofit. So that is a pretty, <laughs> pretty big uh, role <laughs> to take on at 24 years old. Absolutely. And, yeah, and putting on a festival with like New York Times best-selling offers, Pulitzer Prize-winning authors, and then generating income from all the booths that you're selling from the booksellers and other folks that are there. So, to me, events is a great discipline if you want to get into the world of marketing because you have to learn project management skills, you have to learn the demand side of marketing, you have to learn all about how to build a brand using an event as a catalyst for growth. So, it's a great stepping stone. And it certainly was for me in my career. And as you moved on in back, back in 2001 to 2006, you moved on, or I, I guess starting in 2000, you moved to Siemens. So a, a massive brand moving from the, yeah. you know, I want to call the book, book fair, a, a small event because, you know, as you said, <laughs> 25,000 attendees is, is really hard to pull together. But you know, I, I guess that was your first move into more corporate marketing. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, and actually, I took a little step where I had an opportunity to work for an international development nonprofit, running events for the Smithsonian Institution and the U.S. Embassy of Romania, doing cultural tourism events. And I traveled all around Romania for a year and a half doing that. And that was a U.S. agency for international development contract, so it was a short-term gig. But that really led me to thinking more about 
what do I want to do next? I mean, nonprofit experience also, I highly, highly recommend early in your career because usually you've got resource constraints, budget constraints, all the usual things that you don't often have with a corporate budget. And so you learn how to make lemons out of lemonade. You learn how to, you know, really grow your skill set. Suddenly I was writing grants. I didn't know I was a grant writer, but sometimes, you know, you have to roll up your sleeves. And, that, you know, usually if you're in a larger organization, you don't get those kind of opportunities to grow and expand your capabilities. So when I left that opportunity working for a group called AIDS Artisans and doing the international work, it really whet my appetite for wanting to do more global corporate marketing work. And what did that look like? And so I had an opportunity where I was recruited by Siemens to help them with public relations and events around their nonprofit foundation. And they give over $90 million in scholarships to high school students excelling in the STEM field. So it was an opportunity of a lifetime for me to sort of you know, in a way I call it like dip my foot in the corporate pool, but also doing the philanthropic work. So I didn't feel like I was selling my soul to the devil after doing all this very mission-driven nonprofit work. But that, you know, that again, it's like, it wasn't quite what people would have thought, wow, that seems like a weird mix to go from art and culture. And, and now you're working for a global engineering company based out of Germany, but that's right. really the, you know, but the story of my career there is that I did the work for the foundation for over a year and a half. And in that time, Siemens was getting ready to be listed on the New York Stock Exchange. And I raised my hand and said, put me in coach to the head of marketing and communications at the corporate office where I worked in New York and said, how could I be a part of this? I've never been involved in an organization that's been listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Where could I possibly fit in? And they said, well, we actually need you because we're going to be doing all these major events events for clients, for employees, for investors. So I ended up sitting on a work stream of 20 people internationally with our inter, you know, investor relations office out of Munich, senior executives across the organization. And to me, that was probably one of the best steps I could have taken early on in my career is, and what I would give advice unsolicited or not to folks listening is that any chance you get, if you, even if you don't have a seat at the table, bring a folding chair and ask someone to let you in. That's Shirley Chisholm. I can't take credit. First African-American congresswoman. That's a famous quote from her, but I use it all the time because I think it's really great for young professionals to find a way to get a seat at the table is, is show that growth mindset. So before we take a break, you know, where I want to, I want to get to how you orchestrate journeys, but one last question there that I think people are, are struggling with, because that's, it's a great aspiration that you just described, find that seat at the table, but you've managed to do so in really large organizations, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. not the easy part. I mean, if you're a small startup or you, you start a business or whatever that path that you may be taking is, it's one thing to say, okay, I'm going to go find the CEO. I'm going to find their time. The, the fact that you've been able to work your way up into director level, senior director level opportunities in, in some of these companies like Siemens, like, um, am I pronouncing it right, Merrick? Yeah, Merrick and Co. Okay, great. And now RGP, how do you position yourself to get those opportunities to jump in at the table? It's not as easily as, as saying so. It's not, but it really starts with in what I would consider being a high trusted leader. It starts with integrity and it starts with your capabilities and then results. And people know me for being results driven. 
And so the proof in the, is in the pudding at the end of the day. You can raise your hand and say, oh, I'd like to work on that project. But if you're not performing at the level that people expect of you to be doing, or if you aren't responsive and that you aren't delivering results, I mean, then you may not get that opportunity. So part of it is showing not just, you know, the enthusiasm and the curiosity and what I call the growth mindset, but also you have to have the results to back it up. And I would also add that it's so important as marketers to understand the business and get your fingers and toes deep into, you know, the fabric of the business and be embedded in it. And it's one of the things that I love about marketing today is that we can influence the influential parts of the business. Every corporate functional area in a company can be impacted by marketing as simple as just your brand. Every person in your organization should be an advocate for your brand when they go to a family function or go out with friends. I mean, that's where it starts. But to me, it's, I think the marketers and leaders that I admire the most, folks like you and others, you understand how business works and marketers should be tied to the same results and performance metrics as any other corporate functional area. And because I've kind of always had that quirky left and right brain way of thinking, it's really benefited me for the long haul where I have the credibility to just have people say, yeah. I mean, I built my event marketing management role at Siemens after my success with the listing of the New York Stock Exchange work that our team produced. There was more funding for advertising, more brand building, of course. We wanted to get investors in the United States. And so the next best thing was, okay, well, how are we going to do this? So we started aligning with our sales organizations and determined that sports sponsorships, other types of event marketing sponsorships and programs that we create on our own. And I created a whole proprietary series of golf tournament outings, believe it or not, for our C-suite customers. And so things like that, just you have to figure out what's the long-term needs of the business and where can my skills and capabilities and expertise help drive that growth opportunity. And so I ended up running our event marketing business for five years at Siemens and building that from the ground up. That's some some great advice. And I I feel like we are already uh, hinting into the second part of this show. But before (laughs) we get there, we're going to take a short break here on the marketer's journey. We will be back and we will understand the journey that you create for customers today at RGP and other companies you've been at right back here with Meredith. Want to create high converting experiences for your demand strategies that accelerate pipeline and drive revenue? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and Stantec are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies and we created one just for you head to uberflip.com journey to see how uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences to drive demand welcome back to the marketer's journey we have heard all about meredith's path to how she is now leading as senior vp of corporate marketing and brand communications at rgp now we're going to figure out how she goes about that design develop and disappear approach that she has so a lot of the design that i assume you have is about getting people on side right i think you described you know corporate communications is really about arming 
you know, the organization that works, you know, within as much as, you know, the people that are going to buy from you. How has your career helped shape that mindset, you know, to, to a customer journey? Well, I love this question. And we talked a little bit about it because I have a very circuitous career path, but I graduated with a political science degree. And my first role was working for a U.S. senator when he was running for a very heated re-election campaign. He was not expected to win, even though he was the incumbent. And I, I had an opportunity to work in constituent services while I was working on his re-election campaign. So it really helped me understand in a lot of ways where we are today. When you think about the buyer journey, and everyone's been talking at every conference now, personalization, how do you make it so it's really focused on what that particular customer or client wants to hear. How do you find the white space and all the noise of all the emails and all the content that's being pushed out there? How do you make a mark and make them want to move down the you know, funnel, so to speak? So I go all the way back to my grounding and political campaign work. When you think about someone who is you know, trying to be elected, he or she has a certain base, that that group of uh, loyal constituents, or in our world, it's customers, and they pretty much will follow that candidate most of the way, depending on their policies. But it's really about how do you get them to then take the, it's the call to action. So sure, you know, you're, you've got them rallying, they're showing up at all your get out the vote events. But then that sacred day, the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November in the United States, they have to show up in the voting booth and actually go out, you know, their doors and vote for you. It's so similar and so many parallels to how we all are trying to generate demand to get new clients or to keep the loyal clients involved and engaged in what we have to offer them, whether it's our product solutions or services. So that's kind of just a quick, in a nutshell, what I view as, you know, starting out in PR and events really helped shape where I am today. And and to me, the buyer's journey isn't that much different. Although I, I mentioned the funnel and I think McKinsey recently said, you know, it's really not a funnel anymore. It's, it's more of like a, it's very circuitous. It's more like a circle. People kind of come in, come out, and you just really want to continue to engage them and build an audience that is yeah, your I, tribe. I agree there. I mean, it's uh, not to, to cross wires here, but you, know, you, you had a stop in your career, which we didn't hit on at Avanta, which you know, CEB and, and all, all the businesses yeah, under they're part of CEB. Now. Yeah, and, and it's interesting with that because I always use one of their stats, which is around the number of buyers that are now part of the buying committee. And that number just keeps going up. I don't know where it was mm-hmm. when you were working there, but the latest number I've heard is I think now over nine people who are in that buying cycle that you may be going through. And that's overwhelming to think about. So I'm, I'm wondering, as you talk about getting out these this backing in, in a political way to your agenda and what you're trying to sell, at what stage do you start to pull in your existing customers for pushing, you know, what value RGP in theory could do to a new customer or a customer who could expand their spend with you in ways? How do you mm-hmm. start to introduce that? 
That's a great question. And to me, that's really where the beauty of content marketing comes in. And you have this toolkit of a mix of things. And I love that you also referenced the number of people that influence a buying decision now. It's not much different. If we're selling high-level advisory work, let's, uh, let's say we're selling a digital transformation project to a client. That's not something that's going to just involve one decision maker. You know, that's going to be an entire team of people that are stakeholders that we'll likely be working with for over 12 months to potentially two to three years, depending on that transformation, uh, especially if it's a major global enterprise. So you have to think about, you know, the existing clients. We want to just make sure that we're providing them what we're hearing in the market. They want to know, you know, RGP's point of view. What are you hearing about the future of work? And what is automation going to be doing in the next few years to my business? How am I going to be able to take employees in the back office that are doing redundant finance and accounting work, and you all can help me transform our organization by, you know, perhaps, you know, implementing robotic process automation. And then that's going to actually allow my employees to do more strategic work for the business to help us grow. So that, that's a lot to say in a long, long-winded way of thinking about all those employees that are impacted by a transformation will likely want to get some kind of information about how we're the best choice to partner with them on a long-term trusted engagement like that. So it's really a mix of maybe the 30-year-old's influencer on the committee is probably not going to want to read a white paper. Maybe they will, or maybe they want to digest it in more of a video format or a series of eBooks or whatever. So that's the fun part of this is that we work with such an interesting eclectic mix of clientele, and they all want to receive information in a different way. So it's really at the end of the day, I'm probably not saying anything gospel or new, but it's just how do you figure out, A, what your unique differentiating point of view is going to be in a really crowded market, no matter what industry sector you're in, and that you're providing them something of value that maybe they don't even want to necessarily take a call or meeting with you right away, but you're still consistently bringing them something unique and new and relevant that'll resonate with them. And I would also add, we're in the good fortunate space of having a lot of our consultants who end up becoming full-time employees of our clients. And so a lot of times our consultants become clients, clients become consultants. So it's a really interesting revolving door. And that's also part of when you think about customer experience and that whole journey and that it's not a funnel anymore. You know, the client that you have today may end up leaving two years from now and becoming a full-time consultant for us. So there's a talent recruiting piece in there too. It's really a fascinating business to be in. That's interesting. And it's interesting how it sounds like you embrace that as opposed to resist that. And I guess the the benefit of that in, in your business model today is that you end up injecting even more of that thought leadership into the companies that you've worked with through your, yeah. your you know, the people who have, uh, I don't want to use the word indoct- been, been indoctrinated, but but to a degree, like you said, it's, it's that political mindset. How do we inject that in as many of the mm-hmm. rallies that we go to, you know, yeah. the approaches that we go to today to ensure that everyone is bought in? Right, exactly. And, and so much in, in the world of consulting and professional services is, or, I mean, it's really about what's the unique RGP point of view. And we often talk about that a lot. And one of the great projects I worked on in my first year on the job was rebranding the company and doing a global brand refresh. And because we actually thought it was our business model that 
clients consistently came back year over year over year and signed more contracts with us. And it, and it's not about that. It really is more soft skills. It's about that we're very relationship driven, that we're human first, despite all the technology advancements in the world, clients still want that human touch and our ability to bring the right consultants that really are a cultural fit not just that they're battle-tested, that they've been CFOs and done these kind of projects a hundred times, but it's really more about, you know, that journey of what is it going to be like if I hire RGP versus a competitor and what is that experience going to be like? So that's often when we think about content marketing, how do we make sure that we're, you know, infusing that, that experience that they'll get with us? And I think we, as marketers, we sort of get lost a little bit in that piece as we're writing content, especially if you're selling product software, you kind of can get in the weeds a little bit, but you really have to think about what is that experience going to be like when they work uh, with us. I love that. I love that. So, uh, you know, before we wrap up on, on this piece, maybe you can give people one or two just short actionable steps that they could take to create a better buyer journey, a better customer journey that you've, you've taken along your path in your career? First and foremost, sales and marketing alignment. You hear it all the time. In fact, I almost get, I just want to like throw, you throw my hand up in the air, like, ah, you know, that that's a no brainer. And it still amazes me how many organizations struggle with that. The fact that when I started at RGP, I was part of the revenue organization globally. I reported directly into the head of global revenue. I sat on the executive team with all the other sales leaders. I live in Salesforce just like I was as if I was a client director. And if you're not, and I'm on chatter with the head of North American business development. I mean, I have ongoing calls with all of our sales leaders. And if you're not doing that and you want to advance your marketing career, I would say start tomorrow, start scheduling calls with sales leaders. Ask if you can even sit in on a, like a fly on the wall uh, on a sales call. The more you understand how your people are selling the product solutions or services, and how you're showing up in the market and how the client's responding to that, that's going to make you a better marketer. And the other thing that I would also say is actually, I mean, really, and it goes into my, my career path. I actually worked at a consulting firm for several years where I was an account director. I was responsible for bringing in revenue for a client account and growing it. I, I actually doubled it in the two years I was there. Everybody that's in marketing at some point in their career needs to serve time as a business development role and a sales role and a client account director role, something where you're in front of the, in front of the end users. You've got to understand how, to, how hard it is to sell <laughs> before you can actually learn how you want to show up in the market. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree with that. And it's interesting, again, looking back on your career, your beginning in event marketing really put you front and center with, with customers. And that's one of the things yep. that I've seen with event marketers is, is they truly start to understand the customer because they're at those mm -hmm. events interacting with the customer. So there's, there's so much that I think your path and your career has really allowed you to jump into this, this opportunity with RGP and lead and direct. And, uh, you know, no, no, no doubt that they, they'd want you reporting into the CEO and, and having your ear. So I really appreciate this, uh, Meredith. If, if you've got time, we're going to keep you for one more segment here. We'll take a short pause and then we'll be back to take a look at how Meredith takes a little bit of a break from time to time on her personal journey. 
All right, Meredith, amazing path that you have taken, both in terms of your own career and the path that you're creating for your customers. How do you create time for yourself? How do you break away as a busy executive? How do you kind of you know, model that for other, other team members reporting into you? I love this question because you really can't lead a team if you're not fully present. And that often means if you get burnout, you're not going to be the best leader or someone that will be able to help everyone stay rowing in the same direction. So although I was involved in a major global rebranding project in the last year, which really left me very little free time, I did have the opportunity about a month and a half ago to take a short trip to Berlin, which is one of my favorite cities in Europe. And it was really special to be there just a couple of months before the 30-year anniversary of the Berlin Wall coming down. Um, Just really, really meaningful opportunity. I was there during the global climate change rally as well. So that was a pretty meaningful opportunity. And I have a major milestone birthday coming up in a couple of weeks where I'm headed back to Germany, to Munich to visit all the famous uh, castles around Bavaria. And then I will be headed to Strasbourg, France, to go to the oldest Christmas market in France that's been going since the 1500s. So Very cool. super Very excited. Cool. So well, big listen, fan you, of world travel. <laughs> you said it yourself. I, I, I'm going to quote back to the, the first segment where you talked about designing, developing, and then disappearing, right? And, and I think as you hit it there, you know, a lot of us as marketing leaders, we try and micromanage every little detail versus entrust our team. And at some point, we're just not going to scale. You know, that ability to disappear, whether it's, you know, internally in the office or whether it's, you know, taking breaks as you, you've talked about doing. It sounds like you got some great ones coming up. I think you got a great model for, for team buy-in and, you know, really appreciate you taking the time today, Meredith. It's, it's been fascinating to hear your journey. If everyone's tuning in and been, been really enjoying this, you can tune in and listen to a lot of our other episodes that are now up on the Marketer's Journey podcast. We are growing every week with a new executive marketing leader telling us how they got to where they are. More to come. Thank you so much, Meredith. Thank you. It's been such a treat. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 